Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. Our panel today consists of Steve Wilson. Steve is a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton. Mick Wells is with us. Mick is one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program, and he has been a member of the Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980. And I'm saving the last today for Reverend Vicki Cundiff. Vicki is a staff pastor at Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, and I'm saving Vicki for last today because, Vicki, you're going to be the one kind of leading the discussion today. So I'm just going to hand it over to you, and the topic is going to be what? The Lord's Supper. Sounds good. Of course, we could call it Holy Communion uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, let's start off by talking about whether or not um, it's a sacrament or an ordinance. Um, some consider it to be uh, either one of those uh, things. And an ordinance um, is a practice that is done that shows uh, that a believer has faith in Jesus Christ. And a sacrament is a visible sign of the inward grace that we've received in Christ Jesus. And the, the Catholic Church and many Protestant churches uh, say that it's, it's a, a sacrament. And then there's other Protestant churches that say that it's an ordinance. And so what do you think? Is it a sacrament, an ordinance? What do you think about that? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I think it could be different things. I've thought of it as a sacrament, uh, but then again, that's part of my upbringing, part of my uh, Christian heritage. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought about the fact until I saw the notes for this program mm-hmm. um, as to whether or not it was an ordinance. And honestly, I can say, sure, it's an ordinance for some people as well. I agree with that. Go ahead. I, I kind of equated the two in my mind, hadn't given it that much thought until I started looking into what the distinctions might be. So I've used the terms uh, interchangeably, but I've, as I've peeled it back, I, I would uh, lean to the, uh, the ordinance side based on uh, what some Christian groups think uh, the sacrament actually means and, and what it does. So I, I'd lean toward an, an ordinance. Yeah, okay. And I would say it depends on the day. <laughs> uh, because a lot of times I want to view it as a sacrament, but the way that I take it, uh, it does not give me an inward grace. Uh, so in other words, I'm just doing it out of obedience. In that case, well, it's just an ordinance. It's me going up and, and taking communion because that's what we're doing at that point in the service. Um, but if I take some time and, and meditate on what I'm doing, then it can become more of a sacrament for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree that it can be uh, either. They're interchangeable, you know, as you were saying. And uh, because as a sacrament, it is that visible sign, but yet it is something that we also practice because that's what we've been, you know, told to do. And, and I'm glad that we've been told to do that. I think it's an honor uh, to do that in services. It's always a, a special time um, to have communion. And so let's talk a little bit about how it originated. Um, The night before Jesus died, he wanted to share the Passover meal uh, with his disciples, and he went uh, and they met together. And uh, the Passover, Jewish Passover, was an annual event, and we'll talk a little bit more about that 
uh, here in a little bit. But that night, Jesus really taught them a lot of things, and we can read about that in the Gospel of John. There's just some powerful things in there. Uh, we won't get to that tonight. But they also ate supper, right? Uh, and it was at that time, in the midst of that, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And so, um, Mick, you have Luke 22, 14 through 20, if you'd read that for us, please. Yeah, the word in that passage says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. All right, thank you. And so there in the beginning, he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And that night, he knew what was coming, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He was about to be arrested. He was about to be uh, crucified. Uh, he knew the horror of that that was coming to him. Uh, so that night, as we said earlier, he was really teaching them. He was trying to prepare them uh, for what was coming. Uh, but they had the Passover meal, and there were specific instructions concerning the Passover meal uh, given all those many years ago, and it had a purpose. So what were those instructions, and what was that purpose, purpose for the Passover meal? Well, it was a commemoration of when the angel of death passed over the um, Israelites uh, right before they were let out of Egypt. Um, mm -hmm. That was the night that the angel of death visited if you want to say visited, that would be a lousy visitor, wouldn't it? But visited um, himself upon uh, the Egyptians and anybody who did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. Mm -hmm. And there was specific instructions um, concerning what they were supposed to eat then every year that they celebrated this. Um, and so they were supposed to sacrifice a lamb, right? Uh, they sacrificed it at twilight and they sacrificed this lamb um, just like uh, Pete was saying there. And uh, that night they put it over the doorpost. Um, but they also ate the bitter herbs. you remember what that meant? Remembered the time of their bitterness in slavery in Egypt. It sure did. And the unleavened bread, because, you know, yeast takes time for the bread to rise, and this represented, I have to escape here quickly. You know, mm -hmm. what, the time is right, you know, right now. And so, yeah, it was a commemoration. And uh, I think it was also God wanted them to remember um, what he had done for them, you know, and he wanted them to pass it on from generation to generation, which the oral tradition was powerful back then, wasn't it? And that's how things uh, went forward. Um, but anyway, I, I noticed there in verse 20 in Luke, um, Jesus is instituting a new covenant, he said there, and uh, that we call the Lord's Supper. But I want to read to you the New Living Translation of that verse. It says, After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with, his, with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so Jesus is instituting this new covenant, uh, and that we were supposed to re remember this as well, weren't we? It was something, as he said here, between God and the people. So, you know, we could say this was the new Passover meal uh, that he was instituting. And we can see the similarities, right? Uh, the Passover was an annual tradition. 
that they did, and, and it was a reminder that God was setting them free. And then Jesus says, hey, do this in remembrance of me. And then there's no specific set time for it, but you know we were supposed to do it in remembrance of him. And so it was a reminder of his suffering and uh, the salvation that we've received and being set free, just as they were set free from the slavery in Egypt, we've been set free then from the slavery of sin. Yeah. And yeah. The, the bitter herbs represented uh, their suffering and unleavened bread, their exodus. But yet now Jesus said it's, it's the bread and the wine because it's his broken body um, there on the cross and the blood that's being spilled out. And so that's what applies. That's why we eat the bread and the wine because that's what applies uh, to him. And of course, they sacrificed and they ate a lamb, but he is our sacrifice. It seems like a lot of the Old Testament um, rituals were in some ways foreshadowing of something that was going to happen in the new covenant. Mm -hmm. And then when Jesus came along, he used a lot of these rituals or a lot of these lessons as a place, as I call it, a a jumping off point Mm -hmm. to show how this is how it was then. And now this is how it's going to be because of how it was then. Yeah. And they just intertwined, didn't they? Mm -hmm. How they related with each other. So let's go to John 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 48 through 58. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. All right, so what does he mean by this, that he's the bread of life and that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood? How does that relate to Holy Communion? Well, there are a lot of different things that that was misunderstood by. First of all, I need to, I shouldn't say need to, but I'd like to just kind of take a step back there and um understand that there were some people who misunderstood that Mm -hmm. and maybe even today do misunderstand that as thinking that uh, communion was a form of cannibalism or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet today, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church still um, practices what they call um, transubstantiation, where they believe that the elements of the bread and the wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And it was the Roman Catholics a lot of times who were accused of being cannibals because of that. Now then along came people like Martin Luther who believed in what they call, here's another 50 cent word, um, is it consubstantiation? Mm -hmm. And and that means that the, the presence of Jesus is there within and under the elements um, so it's more than just symbolic. And then you get the people such as Wesleyans, which, which Vicki, you and I are Nazarenes. Uh, mm-hmm. That's part of the Wesleyan tradition where it is just symbolic of the, of the uh, 
body and blood of Jesus Christ. So there's all kinds of things that we could get into with right. that. Yeah. Anyone else, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was thinking about the uh, concept of uh, transubstantiation. It's my understanding that uh, some groups believe that that is the, the vehicle for God's imparting grace to us when Jesus really imparted that grace to us once for all. And another thing besides the, the cannibalism aspect that Pete mentioned here is that my understanding that at least one group uh, views communion as a, quote, re-sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. In other words, he's crucified each time, in effect, crucified each time that communion is, is partaken. Uh, by Christians. And so um, I, th I think that's pretty serious stuff when you look behind and, and see what the in intent is. And I think that's what's driven me to consider it more like a, an ordinance than to get into some uh, magical process that uh, creates uh, an entity or, or a, a, a concept that uh, people attach more significance to than it deserves. Well, that's a fascinating thought. And uh... We're going to have to just take a quick break right now for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back after this word. And this is Pete Becky back with you and our panel as we discuss the topic of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. Reverend Vicki Cundiff has been leading the discussion today. So, Vicki, I'm going to just throw it back to you and let you pick up where we left off. Okay. Well, we had just read the scripture from John 6, uh, 48 through 58, where Jesus said he was the bread of life. And uh, he is the bread of life. He's the source um, of how we live eternally, isn't he? And so eating the bread of communion and drinking the juice or the wine, it's a reminder of how dependent we are on him for our salvation, that he's the one uh, that sets us free. And so the purpose then of communion is that we remember uh, his death and resurrection, just like uh, they had the annual reminder uh, for the Passover to remember what God had done. It's the same connection here. He said, do this in remembrance of me. You know, we receive spiritual renewal uh, when we uh, take communion, don't we? We, we gather together as a body of believers, and it's a reminder for us to think about how thankful we are uh, for what Jesus has done, and I, I really believe that that's His purpose. He wants us to remember uh, our freedom and where it came from. You know, it helps keep us on the straight and narrow, doesn't it? Well, it's and, supposed uh, to anyway. Yeah, it's it's supposed to, yeah. But I think uh, it's also a reminder of the unity of the church, um, that believers are supposed to be in one accord, you know, as the Scripture says, because, you know, basically you're taking this in the church, you're taking it together, you know, and uh, I can remember... Um, uh, some years ago, a lady in the nursing home couldn't come to our communion service, and we took it to her. And it was a very, very special time, you know, just feel the Lord's presence. But basically, it's done in the church, and so it's a time for, for unity, you know, and time to look at our hearts, and if we have something against somebody, then we need to make that right, you know. Um, but it's also a time for us to look at ourselves, and um, if there's any sin in our heart, to, an opportunity to confess that. And so that leads us into the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Now this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and he says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, 
for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. All right, so Paul is chastising them. There's divisions in the church. Uh, there's a lack of unity. And in this case, they're disrespecting uh, the Lord's Supper. And so he's rightfully addressing that and saying here, you know, to take communion in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So how can we take communion in an unworthy manner? Well, I think the way that Paul was talking about it right here was they weren't respecting one another. They were not recognizing the body of Christ, meaning the body of believers. Uh, they were showing favoritism. Paul was saying, I'm not going to praise you for that. You know, one of you gets drunk on, on, on presumably the communion wine mm -hmm. while other people are, are going hungry, even though he must, he's probably talking about the poor people there, that they're probably going hungry. They really could use a meal, but the, uh, the, the richer ones, if you want to say the ones with more, war, more worldly means, were probably eating up all the food. Mm -hmm. So if communion is a symbol of our unity in Christ, we're all um, held in common in that, that bond of the body, and then we, we come and we, we have divisions in the church. We have uh, divisions with other denominations, mm -hmm. I would say, other Christians. We come and we don't recognize, hey, we're really all part of the body. Right. That's eating unworthily of the body. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think, too, that it's unwor you're partaking unworthily if, if you're not really meditating or focusing on the significance because uh, like a lot of things that are done over and over again if it becomes very ritualistic and rote right. then it's not really being um, executed for its intended uh, purpose um, one thing that i was wondering here based on the descriptions that uh, pete read in corinthians 
do we practice communion <clears throat> differently than they did way back then? Because it sounded, it sounds to me like reading the scriptures, they didn't pass out the little wafers and little cups like we do today. It was actually a meal, a, a supper. What do you think? That was their tradition, and the Greeks did that. Mm -hmm. uh, they had their feasts, you know, and that's what that was all about, like Pete was describing there. But in the midst of that, they would have uh, communion as well. Um, but I, th I think for myself, um, you know, we're not always going to have a meal at the church and do that, and so that's why it's kind of been taken in that way, whether they pass that out or pass out, you know, real bread, or and then you dip that uh, in the wine or the juice. Yeah. I think it's just culturally different. I, yeah. I, I think the way we do it underscores the uh, view that it is symbolic mm -hmm. as opposed to a, a meal where people are, are filled, as the Scripture talks about. Yeah, because um, obviously from the Scriptures that got out of hand, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, an unworthy man or two would, it kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier, being irreverent, that casual attitude um, the elements are being p passed out and just kind of talking to your neighbor beside you and you know like you're saying not not dwelling on uh, what it's really for and uh, maybe because we've gotten used to it or heaven forbid we're just disinterested you know what you know? I, I, I'm sorry I don't mean to interrupt but it just reminded me of something that uh, when I as a pastor have served communion I really, really try to make it a meaningful experience for mm -hmm. the person. Yes. And um, I will say the body and blood of Christ for you. And if I know their name, I'll even say their name. Mm -hmm. And I remember not long ago, I was helping serve communion. And I said to this lady, this is the body and blood of Christ broken and shed for you. And she said, what? <laughs> now, I think, honestly, she didn't hear me, but uh, it was just kind of funny uh, in, in context here. Right. I wonder if there are people who just don't think about it. Honest, I, I honestly think she just couldn't hear me because there was music yeah. playing in the background and such. But yeah, but, but it, is, it is something important for me as I'm serving communion to try to give the people the understanding of the significance of this. Yeah, I think that's important. And obviously, the Corinthians were treating it casually, disrespectfully. Uh, and that's why Paul addressed it, because they were not considering the significance of what it was actually for. So, you know, in the scripture there, we read it said communion is the time to examine our heart. So why is that important to examine our heart? I think we need to make sure that we're not being double-minded. Like if, if I intend to take communion, but I know in my heart I've got unconfessed sin, I'm not really clean before God, and I think that's one of the reasons that we need to be introspective and and in those moments before taking communion, sincerely uh, wipe the slate clean sure. so that we don't come across as double-minded to, to the Lord we're remembering in His sacrifice. That goes along with the Scripture. In 28-29, it said, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we need to examine, don't we? Yeah. I, I saw a, a comment that said the King James renders it eating and drinking damnation, which they said was really unfortunate because we're, we're told there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus we, we have problems, and we need to be right with God, but eating it unworthily associated with damnation, as I understand it, is 
probably indeed an unfortunate uh, <laughs> translation. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like if you're going up to communion and you're proclaiming, I believe this, I believe in Christ, I accept him into myself. And then, like you said, if you have unconfessed sin or if you don't believe in Christ, then you know, you're, you're showing your hypocrisy by doing that. Yeah. Could I share with you uh, a line from, uh, of instructions given to the early church in the first century? This is from the Didache, which was uh, recorded uh, advice and counsel on how to conduct yourself as, as a church. So it's kind of a how-to manual for worship. And chapter 9 and section 5 says this. Now, this is not out of Scripture, but it's recorded by the early church as to how they interpreted this. And speaking of the Eucharist or communion, it says this, and it's probably directed to leadership. It says, Allow no one to eat or drink your Eucharist unless they have been baptized in the name of the Lord, for concerning this, the Lord has said, quote, do not give what is holy to dogs. And I thought that was an extremely insightful um, piece of information on how the early church interpreted uh, how communion is to be uh, administered. And, and implicitly, there's guidance there for those administering uh, communion. Now, if I could take that one step almost the other direction, I know what the Scripture says. I'm not arguing with the Scriptures. Um, but at the same time, I want us to go back to that first communion, the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night mm -hmm. before he was crucified. Mm -hmm. And I heard something said to me many, many, many years ago. And remember the setting of Jesus. Uh, Vicki, you kind of alluded to it very early in our program today that, that Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. Mm -hmm. And he was telling these guys what was going to happen to him. And they didn't even comprehend that, I mean, just hours before it was going to happen. And then we get into all of this talk about was well, it transubstantiation, consubstantiation, is it symbolic, is it an ordinance, is it... And you know what? I, I heard this saying was this, Jesus told them, take and eat, take and drink, not take and understand. <laughs> and I think that's a very important thing, especially when we're looking at it as a sacramental type of thing, because... We're just proclaiming and remembering Jesus. Yes. That's the most important thing. Now, I'm not saying don't study these things. I'm not saying don't get deeper into them. Right. But the bottom line is, are we doing it kind of as an ordinance? Because as Steve said before, Jesus told us to do it. So mm -hmm. a lot of times we do it without understanding, but because we're supposed to. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. Um, but we need to look at it as uh, something special, you know, of course. Okay, well, we're running out of time, aren't we? Getting close to that. Um, verse 26 said, whenever you do this. And, you know, there's really no set time. Jesus said just to do this. And so there are some uh, churches that do it weekly. Some do it monthly. Uh, some do it for special occasions or do it quarterly. Uh, I myself have done it monthly uh, when I was uh, pastoring for a while. And uh, I thought, well, how's it going to go? I've always been around it when it was done quarterly. Uh, but, you know, it was amazing how uh, God could just take what Scripture that He'd given you and what you were preaching on and to apply that. And so however anyone chooses to do it, that's wide open, isn't it? Uh, whether they want to do it uh, weekly or monthly or quarterly or whenever. Uh, but the Lord's Supper is a spiritual means of grace. Uh, we're to participate in it, in it reverently. 
and remembering what it represents. And lastly, it's a command. He said, do this. Mm -hmm. And it, the purpose was to remember. Yes. That's great. And um, I tell you what, Vicki, you're right. We are running out of time. We could say several more things about this. And I think you wanted to get into a few more things. But uh, unfortunately, we are kind of constrained to time here. So let me just say that uh, Reverend Vicki Cundiff from uh, Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio, has been leading us today in our discussion of Holy Communion. Mick Wells has been with us, Steve Wilson, and this is Pete Vecchi. And I want to thank you for joining us today for Reconciling Grace. May God be with you, and may he bless you in all you do. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.